everyone. Welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join me again this week. For today's episode, we're going to be doing another hymn review. As I mentioned several times before now, I love the hymns. I know plenty of you love the hymns. And even if you're not super interested in the older evangelical hymns, I think they're still wonderful resources of evangelical both theology and understandings of scripture that's worth pouring over together and gaining something for our walk as Christians today. Or for those who maybe aren't a Christian watching this, the hymns, especially the old evangelical hymns, give you a profound insight into not only what Christians believe, but how exactly we believe it. Hymns are something we sing. They're something we declare to one another and to the world. So they are wonderful resources for us to look at today. And for today's hymn, we're going to be looking at a hymn from Ann Dutton. Ann Dutton is someone we've covered on the channel before. If you haven't seen that episode, it's in the description down below. It's an episode on Ann Dutton looking at one of her more theological works, but that will give you the introduction to your life if you're not familiar with her. It tells you who she is, where she came from, and perhaps most importantly for our hymn review today, why she's important, why she's worth listening to. I'll just say briefly, Ann Dutton was an amazing Baptist theologian and poet from the 18th century in England. She was well known in her day, and hopefully she's getting better known today as we recover some of her works and talk about her some more. I'll say for myself again that Ann Dutton is definitely perhaps top three when it comes to evangelical hymnists. I would put her up there among uh, figures like William Cooper, who you know I love, and also Charles Wesley, a hymnist you might be familiar with. So she was a super amazing hymnist, a poet, but she is also well known for her letters, evangelical letters being a big resource we have, but also her theological writing. She was a powerful theologian, and I think that's what makes her partly one of the reasons that makes her so amazing. Not only was she a brilliant theologian in her own right, standing shoulder to shoulder with her contemporaries, often great evangelicals, I believe George Whitfield being an example, looking to her as a source of wisdom and encouragement, but she was also a female theologian. And while that might seem less amazing to us today, where we have a lot of brilliant women doing theology, definitely in the 18th century, she stood out as a profound theological mind who also happened to be a woman. So, I think that makes her even more amazing to get to know and hopefully is an encouragement for women today who are thinking about the Bible and theology. Anne Dutton was a brilliant female theologian. It It's not... Theology doesn't just have to be a world of men trapped away in seminary or off at our little book clubs. I hope women get more invested in theology. I know so many of you want to be, so hopefully Ann Dutton can be an encouragement. Get after it. Anyway, that's a long enough intro. Let's dive into Ann Dutton's hymn today entitled, Christ Crucified, Risen, and Ascended. Let's dive in with a reading. We joy to hear our Savior's voice from his triumphant throne. He conquered all our enemies, and then on high sat down. And thence to us, behold, he says, I am he that once was dead. I in a tomb interred lay, when I for you had bled. But having vanquished death and sin, Satan with all his powers, my father sent his angel in to open the prison doors. Thus did strict justice set me free. In triumph I arose. I did ascend in majesty and led my captive foes. My father did advance me high, gave me the sealed book, where there no creature could come nigh to cast thereon a look. And now I live at God's right hand, in bliss forevermore. Death in the grave I now command, rule all things by my power. 
my glorious triumph and my reign was sounded when I died, and I ere long will come again to crown my dearest bride. Our bridegroom king, is this thy voice to such poor worms as we? Our hearts are cheered, our souls rejoice, we long thy face to see. What a powerful hymn, what an amazing hymn. I think you could see it already, just how much theology and scripture is packed into this, uh, I'll admit, relatively longer hymn than we're probably used to. But I think this is a hymn that both demonstrates Dutton's prowess when it comes to theology and scripture, but also provides wonderful encouragement to Christians as it draws us to reflect on the many promises in scripture, the wonderful, powerful life of Jesus Christ, our God and King, and how we might apply that in our day-to-day walks. So with that sort of briefly mentioned now, let me say what we're going to be doing. I'm going to talk about the overview of the hymn, how it looks from a bird's eye view. Then we're going to dig into one of those stanzas, see what's going on, how Dutton uses scripture, where she goes. And then finally, I'll leave us off with an encouragement. Anyway, let's dive into the macro view of this hymn by starting where I think we see most of the hymn taking place. As you can see in the red on your screen, if you're watching on YouTube, so much of the hymn is Dutton speaking in the voice of Christ. And while that might sound a little odd at first, we don't do that often in hymns, but Dutton is doing something that's actually pretty common in the older evangelical hymns, taking everything, all the scriptural truths about God, and in this case specifically about the second person, Jesus Christ, and taking those many promises, those many works, and then putting it in the form of a speech that which we would sing. And I think that's an amazing way of sort of showing that throughout scripture, while there's so much going on, it really is a cohesive narrative of what Jesus Christ has done and what he will do. So Dutton, as you could see for the bulk of that, is in the voice of Jesus saying not only everything he has done for us, specifically in his death, but also what he will do now that he's risen and ascended. So that's the bulk of the hymn. I'll just briefly note that at the start, it sort of opens up where uh, in that first stanza, we get an introduction that this is, we, we love to hear the Savior's voice as Christians, and he's speaking, Christ is speaking from his triumphant throne. So this is the victorious Savior speaking to his people, recounting what he has done and what he will do. And then, as we'll see at the bottom there, after the speech of Jesus, which we sing, then it's the church, the bride to respond. How do we respond to what Christ has said and has promised? So anyway, let's dive in a little bit into what Christ has said in this hymn. First thing to note from that speech of Christ in Dutton's voice is that there's a reflection upon the death of Christ. And you could see there that it starts with, I am he that once was dead, I in a tomb and turd laid. This is an affirmation that Jesus Christ, fully man, truly man, truly died. We're speaking about the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. That cannot be neglected as we think of who Jesus Christ is. He was a man and he died. But the important thing to note there about that death is it wasn't just any death. He says in Dutton speaking this speech of Christ, when I for you had bled. Jesus's death was for his people for his bride the people whom he saved the elect he bled for them and not only did he bleed for them in that and i think this is an allusion to penal substitutionary atonement jesus took the punishment we deserved he bled for us but another element of the atonement another 
work that Jesus accomplished through his death is that victory. And that's the start of the third stanza. But having vanquished death and sin, Satan with all his powers. Jesus Christ not only took the punishment we deserved as his people, by doing that, he defeated death and sin and Satan, which had a hold on us. Christ not only took our punishment, he triumphed over his foes in his death. An amazing reflection on Christ's death. What's the next point? You could see here that, as we know as Christians, it didn't end in death. As the second half of the third stanza starts, my father sent his angel in to open the prison doors. Death couldn't contain Jesus. The father, God, worked and brought Jesus back. And why did he do that? How did that play out? Thus did strict justice set me free, in triumph I arose. That's the start of the fourth stanza. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was triumphant. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't contain him. Strict justice set him free. He arose in triumph. He didn't lose in his death. He won. And it was just and triumphant that he rose from the grave. An amazing reflection on something I don't think we consider enough, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. We talk about it typically to prove Christianity true, but think about those theological truths. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, the true Israel, couldn't be contained by death. That's our savior. But where does that go? Let's get back to the hymn. I could go on. I don't want to get too excited here, but this is exciting stuff. All right. The next part. I did ascend in majesty and, lev- and led my captive foes. That's the, uh, the second part of the fourth stanza. Jesus ascended in majesty. Do you think about the ascension? I need to think about the ascension more and what that means for me and for you as a believer. He led his captive foes. And that's an amazing scriptural reference there, which we will get to in a moment. But just hold on to that. Led my captive foes. And then into the fifth stanza, what do we see? My father did advance me high, gave me the sealed book, where there no creature could come nigh to cast thereon a look. That's getting into Revelation, the seven seals, the book, and only Jesus was worthy to open it up. And we won't get into Revelation now. We'll probably in the future start talking a bit more about eschatology, especially as that's my my field of study and my PhD research. But that is an amazing thing. Only Jesus was worthy to open the sealed book book and take a look no one could come near where does Dutton go from there after that reflection now this is a powerful discussion in in the sixth and start of the seventh stanza on where Jesus is now and I'll just read it again and now I live at God's right hand in bliss forevermore death in the grave I now command rule all things by my power what a statement about Jesus Christ the reigning king jesus christ descended and he didn't ascend to just a little seat in the corner where he's waiting for his return no jesus right now is ruling and reigning he is king he conquered death he conquered sin he conquered satan by the cross and that's what we see right in the start of the seventh stanza my glorious triumph and my reign was sounded when i died 
Jesus Christ's death was not a defeat. It might look like that. It might have sounded like that. It might have seemed like that in the moment. But it was the start of the victory. The atoning death that conquered his foes. And that's when Christ's rule and reign began. And it is just going forward now. I know that's getting into eschatology. We might have some differences of opinion there. But that's what Dutton is saying in the voice of Christ. He is ruling. He is conquered. And death and grave are now his to command. He rules all things by his power. Again, do you reflect on the power of Jesus Christ? We talk about his foes. We talk about problems in the world today. But do you realize, do you think about, do you meditate on, do you find comfort in that Jesus Christ is truly the victorious king who rules all things by his power? The power of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Be encouraged by that believer. Let's get to the final part of the speech of Christ. And I, ere long, will come again to crown my dearest bride. That's a brief statement. Jesus will return. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. But that's not the end of the story. Our king is coming back. And it will be a glorious return. And he will come and crown his dearest bride. What a comfort that is for believers. And again, we're going to be talking about eschatology, the end times, the theology all around that. And that will be discussed more. But take that in. Jesus is coming back and it will be a victorious return. Let's now look at that very final stanza briefly. The eighth stanza, and this after the speech of Christ, is the believer's response. And again, Dutton wrote all this. It's amazing where she has the opening about the Savior's voice, gives us the Savior's voice, laced with scripture and all these promises which come directly from God's word, Jesus' word. And how do we respond? This is now the believer singing as the believer. Our bridegroom king, is this thy voice to such poor worms as we? Our hearts are cheered, our souls rejoice, we long thy face to see. Again, do you long to see the face of Jesus? That's what we're singing in response here. Do you long for that day, that glorious return, that victory? Do you recognize that you're a poor worm who's received the grace and promise of this wonderful God King, Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man in hypostatic union, the God who took on flesh and conquered death by death? That's only a truth that's found in Christianity. That's something you need to take in. How profound our faith is as evangelical Christians. This isn't a a religion for stupid people. This isn't a religion for the sages in the corner. This is biblical truth for every person. This is the truth of God taking on flesh and saving his people and now ruling, ruling in power. The person of Jesus Christ, his work It's just so profound and unique, and we need to think about it more. We need to reflect on it more. But that's the overview of the hymn. Let's take a look at one of those stanzas. A lot's going on here. How is Dutton using scripture to put this hymn together? Let's look at one stanza. This is the fourth stanza. If you're on YouTube, you could see that I highlighted it. I had to pick one of them, but believe me, as we pour into it, know that all the stanzas look just like this when it comes to scriptural references. If you're interested right now, I'll just hold up. This is the volume where I got this from, the works of Ann Dutton. Uh, This is a four-part volume put together by Joan Ford Watson. Four volumes, I believe the first one is her letters. This one here has the hymns, and the other ones has uh, discourses, theological writings, and all sorts of other things. But here is where we're going to dive into that stanza and see how she's using scripture. 
as you can see here, I have it all up on the screen, but I highlighted each line we're going to look at. So the first one, thus did strict justice set me free. Dutton references Acts 2.24. And I'm reading that in the ESV now, of course. Dutton wouldn't have been using that. The ESV is a new translation, but here's what it says for us. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So strict justice, it was not possible for Jesus Christ to be held by death. Death is a result of the fall. It's something that is related to sin. And Jesus Christ, while he died on our behalf, he didn't justly deserve death. It couldn't hold him. So God unjustly set him free. The pangs of death couldn't hold him straight from Acts. Okay, let's take a look at the next line. In triumph I arose. And again, that's Dutton writing in Jesus Christ's voice. In triumph I arose. And Dutton bases that on Romans 1.4. In the ESV that reads, And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus' Christ's resurrection was an amazing triumph. He was shown to be true. He was shown to be holy. He was shown to be just and perfect. And that's something I think we need to reflect upon, the triumph of the resurrection. He arose from the dead in victory. It wasn't like, oh, I'm alive again. Oh, this is great. How did this happen? Like you might see in some sci-fi TV show where people come back from the dead and they're like, what's going on here? Not the case with the true and actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. He triumphed. He arose in triumph. He knew exactly what was going on. He was exactly aware of everything that took place. And it was a true victory. And that's what we see from Romans 1.4. Let's take a look at the next line and know that this third line will be connected with the fourth. But let's start with the third. I did ascend in majesty. And that's based on Psalm 68, 17-18. So we're moving past the resurrection here and getting into the ascension. So the line, I did ascend in majesty based on Psalm 68. What does it say in those two verses? The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. What a powerful Old Testament passage. And in the Old Testament, you might be wondering, like how on earth is Dutton taking this Old Testament passage and applying it to the ascension of Jesus Christ? Well, that's where I really want to make sure we connect this third line with the fourth, because Dutton here shows herself to know scripture so well. Again, as we look at this connection from the third to fourth line, remember, Dutton isn't working in the age of Logos Bible software. She doesn't have uh, the Google search function where you could search verses and see it all cross-referenced. She's in the 18th century where they had paper books, and she's here demonstrating her profound knowledge of scripture. And how would she have gotten this? From actually reading scripture from seriously digging into some theological writings and probably most primarily being an active and diligent church member where she was saturated in scripture learning all these things from pastors in her local context who studied their lives to give these truths to their congregations so Dutton here demonstrates maybe a scriptural connection you haven't made before even though we live in the power of the internet and you could search all this stuff but here's where she goes with that taking the, that psalm to Jesus Christ. Look at the next line. 
So Dutton essentially uh, adds to, I did ascend in majesty, and she says, and led my captive foes. That's an interesting line. You might be thinking, oh, Jesus leading captive foes? It sounds like, like the Roman emperors coming back with all the slaves that they conquered when fighting uh, different tribes in, in modern-day France or Germany. What's going on here? But Dutton goes to Ephesians 4.8, and that says, again in the ESV, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. What? What's going on there? But as we can see here, the Apostle Paul himself, when speaking about the ascension of Jesus Christ, is going back to that very psalm that Dutton identified. She knew that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians was going back to the psalms. And so that when the psalms were speaking of the Lord, it was truly according to the apostolic commentary, speaking to, prophesying the ascension of Jesus Christ. And who are the captives? Well, as we saw in the hymn as a whole, that's us believers. We were once rebels, and Jesus came as a conquering king in his death. We are the captive foes that he is leading. And the talking about gifts, you can think of blessing, you can think of God blessing us, us blessing God. But that's who Jesus Christ is. He, in his death, was a conqueror. And he conquered to save his people. His rebels turned friends. His enemies turned sons of God. We are the captive foes that in his ascension, he is bringing forth in victory. And of course, we could talk, there's a lot of discussion about how we think about where Jesus was during his death. I won't get into that here. But those are the powerful theological truths we need to think of. And again, there are some different positions as theologians try to make sense of what exactly is going on here. While we have a lot that scripture tells us, some things where we're trying to figure it out. But here, and this is now getting into my encouragement, I want us to think about the core. Do you think about Jesus Christ? Do you meditate on him? How do you meditate on him? What do you meditate on when you're meditating on Jesus Christ? Here is what I want to draw you to. In the Gospels, in the New Testament as a whole, in the entire book of the Bible as a whole, as we just saw here, every word, every page points to Jesus Christ. And it points to Jesus Christ not just as an abstract idea, but as God who took on flesh, dwelt among us, serving us, living the perfect life, and then being crucified rising from the dead, and then ascending to heaven in triumph. Do you meditate on that? Do you read scripture and just take in how glorious these truths are, how utterly powerful and unique they are, and how they speak to you as an individual? If you're a believer listening to this right now, especially if you're an evangelical, you worship Jesus Christ, the person of the triune God who dwelt among us. Do you think about his life among us and how spectacular that is? When you read the gospel accounts, for example, do you just take in how amazing it is that Jesus multiplied fish and bread? Do you take in how amazing it is that he turned water into wine? And then do you take in how amazing it is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? That is such an amazing reality. But I think Christians, we can become desensitized to it. We, of course, Jesus rose from the dead. It's not that big a deal. We talk about it all the time. No, that should stop us dead in our tracks. And I think we need to just meditate on that, soak in that, how amazing it is the first time we hear it and how it should be amazing to us every time we hear it. That's the God we worship. We worship this great triune God. And one of the persons of this triune God is Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and dwelt among us. 
dying, rising again, and ascending into heaven. And as we mentioned, returning. We look forward to that return. So let's start talking about these things more. And I think to really get there, we got to take a cue from Dutton. We got to sing about these things. And we have to sing about these things as they are reflected in scripture. One of the reasons why I love evangelical hymnody so much from the 18th century, and don't get me wrong, we still have wonderful hymns being written today. I'm not saying, oh, we have to just sing hymns from then. Plenty of fantastic Christian hymns are being written today. I encourage you to get to know them. They're out there. We could talk about them in the future. But something those 18th century evangelicals demonstrate so well and exemplified by Dutton here is just how packed full of scripture their beautiful hymns and poems were. As people would be singing these in church or elsewhere, they would be singing the truths of Scripture straight from Scripture. And as they sing them, they get to know the Scripture, get to know the truths of Scripture, but also make these profound connections from the Old Testament to the New, from 2,000 years ago to today, and then bring that to their lives as they walk. So that's enough for me right now. I hope that you will take that encouragement to get to know Jesus Christ more, to sing about him all the more, to recognize these powerful connections in scripture, and to take them to your lives and share them with others. That's it for today on this hymn review. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, drop a like if you can, maybe share it with a friend. Let me know in the comments what you're thinking about, if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions for future hymns, because as always, this is a colloquy between us. I want to get the conversation going and encourage further study and discussions. Anyway, that's it truly for now. I'm so glad that you can join me and I hope you take care and that I will be able to be with you again next time here on Christian's Colloquy. Take care.